Good morning. This is the Lord speaking. Well, we hope so. Father, won't you come and just speak to us into our hearts? Even though it's my mouth that is opening, I pray that it would be your heart that comes across, your truth, your word that penetrates into the hearts of every one of us as we hear it. May it liberate us as we have a revelation of who you are, but most importantly, may it bring glory and honor to your name. The gospel is you. You are the gospel. You are the good news for all of creation. And uh, we get to share in that incredible privilege. Amen. Okay, so I'm not going to preach on Galatians because Benny started, but when he mentioned, he read a scripture in Galatians and it wasn't a point that he needed to make, so he didn't stop on that text and clarify a specific item. But as he mentioned, I thought that's a, that's a, a, a greatly misunderstood scripture that I'd like to maybe just share on it a little bit, you know, and hopefully it'll, it'll help us to um, walk in greater revelation and relationship with God. So why don't you go to Galatians 1, chapter 11. Oh, sorry, chapter 1, verse 11. Anointing picked up from Ben last week. Is that a No. But hey, as any good preacher does, we make up our own words, and we pretty much just decide what the Scripture is supposed to mean, right? I could go, I could go more cheeky there, but I, I don't think that'll solve anything or add any value. To what I'm going to say. Paul, Paul says this in, in, um, in verse 11 of chapter 1. For what have you know, brothers, that the gospel, the good news that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I like that. Firstly, it's not man's gospel because man is not the gospel. We are, the gospel is actually not even about us. I know that's contrary to popular belief, but as you heard quite some time back on what is the gospel, we found out that the gospel is actually Jesus. Okay. He is the good news. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. I'd love to preach on Paul as a person. I, I'm, I'm reading a book by um, N.T. Wright on Paul and his life and what he would have been like as, a, as a, um, a, a, a Jew being trained in Judaism and the, the, the zealousness of, of who he was. But that might be for another time because it helps us understand when you see Paul writing and you understand him and what he came from to his revelation of Jesus is quite profound. Um, verse 15, but he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that, that I may preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. Now there's a, there's a word in there and I want to, I want to, uh, point out this error and then speak about this in, in the true light of what it means. And it's verse 15 where he says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Now, who's got an electronic Bible here? Have you got a number next to the word 
to, after his son, to me. Does anyone have like a letter or a number on the electronic Bible? Why don't you just click on that word quickly? Just push, push that button. If it'll, does it normally open up? What does the Greek word say, Tim? In me. I don't understand why the Reformed um, Bible interpreters decided to use the word to, because that's not the true Greek word that was used when Paul wrote this letter. It says that when he was pleased to reveal his son in me. There's a, there's a difference between having a revelation to you, presented to you, which is in Greek understanding, um, the, and, and in our Western society, we are all about intellect. We love intellectual things. We love to be stirred in our intellect. We love to learn more, know more, search out more. And our heads in, in Western society is pretty much quite swollen. We've had a lot of information. So to present Christ to us is one thing. Thank you very much for presenting a truth to me. But to have Christ revealed in you is a whole nother matter. I mean, the Messiah, Christ, and I don't know how you read the Bible, but the Bible is meant to be read experientially. The whole Bible from Moses, and I've said this before in, in places and maybe here, but from, from Genesis to Revelation, the whole of what we have as the canon of Scripture that, that was you know, decided by a council you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, where a group of men decided what we're going to hold in our hand is the Bible, that whole book, the Holy Bible, is the encounters of human beings with God recorded down for us to read. There is nothing intellectual in the Bible, if, if you know what I'm trying to say. The Bible is obviously intellectually stimulating, because it would. It's, it, it stimulates all of who we are. That includes our intellect. But the Bible is the accounts of human beings who met with God in one way or another and did something for him, whether it was a, 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 you know, a good encounter or a bad encounter, because, I mean, I'm sure the enemies of God, when they encountered him, wasn't pleasant. I mean, there's fl flames of fire and swords and, you know, plagues and all these incredible things that start taking place. So it's, but, but nonetheless, it's an encounter. It's an encounter with the kingdom of heaven, right? Think of this for a moment. <clears throat> the Messiah, Jesus, as we know him in the English language, who was once in heaven and always was, is now living in you, has been revealed, manifested inside of your human spirit. I mean, the revelation of that, if it hit us, Properly, what if we if we hit, had that revelation hit us 100%? Every single born again Christian on this planet would look and walk and act exactly like not physically look like, but we would look in the nature of Jesus as he walked on this planet. Could you imagine what that would do to our, to our earth? What would happen to creation? Go with me to 2 Peter 1. Now, I find it sad when, when we do, you know, when, when we read the scriptures, friends, it's, I would encourage you to use multiple translations. Just give me a second. What did I, where am I going to before I get lost? 2 Peter 1. Let me just go there first. When we, when you, I want to encourage you, when you read the scriptures, use multiple translations. Use a concordance because... What we don't get in, in Western society today is we do not get the cultural, um, the cultural um, heart 
and context of, of what is being said and what's being written. You need to understand that, that because the Bible is meant to, or the Word of God is meant to be experienced, not just fill your head. You need to understand that everything that Jesus chose, he chose Israel, he chose a Jewish people because of the fact that they were experiential. It was relational. The, the whole of our walk with God is relational. We never come to God with your head. You come to God with your heart. And your heart is not this thing that beats in your chest. Your heart is the seat, the center of your being. You know, that heart there that we know, the cardiology part, this, this beating um, organ, organism, or organ, sorry, should I say, is, is, is just part of our fleshly body, this makeup that we have right now. But the heart, the true heart that we hear in the Bible is not that thing that beats blood through your body, but it's the seat of your being. So one, uh, what did I say? One Peter. Did I mention a verse? One, uh, sorry, 2 Peter 1 verse 3. His divine power, sorry, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory or by his own glory and his excellence but which he has granted to us, sorry, but which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through these promises you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sin's desire. We have become partakers of his divine nature, does that make sense to you? Do you understand the, the reality of that hit us in, in our hearts that we actually as human beings now in Christ, Christ himself now being revealed not to us but in us, okay, once you get born again, Christ is now revealed in you. His, his life begins to manifest in your life. Okay, what our life needs to do is because you go, well, I don't look like him. Well, no, because what I need to learn to do is to actually submit my life to his lordship. That's the whole thing of Jesus just being your savior. You know, carnal Christianity is that God is my savior, but he's not yet my Lord. When we, sub, when we understand, and that's why it's, it's quite interesting that when, the, when the, the, the gospel that we that we look at as being the gospel, which I've spoken about before, that when it's about or the gospel is simply this. Jesus died for your sins, well, that's fine. He's your savior. But when you understand that he is the Messiah who rose back to life and is seated on the throne, then he is the king. That means he is your Lord. A, king's, a king is to be subjected to. You, you, are, you are to lay down your life in, in his kingdom to serve him. Now, in a, in a society where we hate our government and we complain about them all the time and it doesn't matter who's in, we're going to moan. This is the reality. We're never going to like who's in place. We will vote that person, and three months later, we will not like that person and want them out. We're about to see next year, May, a whole shifting of what's going to happen. We don't know which way it's going to go. But right now, we've got, we've got um, uh, what are they called, prime ministers that are being knocked off, off uh, their, their posts left, right, and center. One every five years, it said. We've had one prime minister every five. So, sorry, for the last five years, we've had a prime minister every year. That just goes to show society. We don't like you, see you later. Well, when you come into a kingdom, so sorry, so first let me say this. So our view of leadership and government and a king, per se, is not good. 
So when you say to people out there that Jesus is your king and you need to lay your life down before him, and in actual fact, you need to become his subject and obey, which is a bad word to use in Western society, because it's all about us now. Life's all about you. What is pleasing to you? Do what you want to do. You're free. You know, I, I thought we were free here in Australia. Then I went on holiday to America. Let me tell you, they are even more free than what we are. You do whatever you want to do, mate. It's whatever pleases you. It's your life. You are the center of your being. It's called an individualistic culture. And, and we are all in, in Western society moving in that direction. So when you start saying things like obey, our head is, why would I obey somebody that's a tyrant? Why would I want to obey or subject myself to somebody who is only out there for themselves as well? Because every human king or leader on a throne is also living in their own little individualistic culture. And so... It's hard for us to understand that we need to subject ourselves to God. However, when you understand the nature of the kingdom and the nature of the king of that kingdom, it becomes a lot easier because when I subject myself to God, he brings me into freedom. He doesn't lock us up. You know what I mean? When you've got a gospel that's preached where, you know, God's an angry God who wants to pour out his wrath upon, you know, people that step out of line now, step out of line, you'll see what God will do to you. Well, his wrath is waiting until, you know, Jesus returns, and then it shall be poured out upon all that is ungodly and unrighteous. And all of the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And I'm so tempted to go into speaking about the wrath of God and, and just how misunderstood that was when we think that the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus. And so that's why we are all now free. It's very badly misunderstood. It was in Christ that God was reconciling the world to himself. He's not an angry father who couldn't contain himself any longer, so he decided to throw a tantrum on his son on the cross. What kind of a God is that? A loving father would punish his one and only son. That's for another time. I'll leave you, I'll leave you there. I think I went too far. Benny, I went, I went down the rabbit hole too far there. People are going to go scratch their heads. But go and do, go and do your own search in the meantime. But I will, I will clarify that. And I, and I was going to preach on that today, and I thought not to. Um, maybe next time that's something I will do. Go with me. <clears throat> oh, sorry, stay in that text. The, the, the line on you may become in that text, you may become, let me read it again first. So that, from a half of verse four, it says, it says, so that through them you may become and partakers of the divine nature. The word may become, sorry gentlemen and ladies, I have um, pushed the wrong button on my thing here. The, that, that, the, we use three words, you may become. There's, it's actually one word, which is ginomai, and it means to come into existence, to receive, to appear in. So let's read it like this. So that you have come to existence, so that you have received, so that you appear in. Or, and, then it's, and then they use the word partakers, which is koinonos, which comes from koinonia, and it means partner, a partner of, a companion to share in. So you have come into existence, you have received, you have appeared in, you have become a partner of, a companion with, and you are now sharing in the divine nature. Does that make more sense to you? Which means that we share in the divine nature of God himself. That's a big revelation. 
that the church needs to get, not just not our heads in church. That sounds awesome. It's, it sounds exciting, Brad. We can all give a good woo and a shikabumba, shake around, fall on the floor, roll under the chairs. You know what I mean? Hold your pockets so your money doesn't fall out because that's what a good Christian does. You know what I mean? I'll shake, rattle, and roll, but I don't want my money to fall out. Um, but if it doesn't hit you as revelation so that it begins to manifest not only in your life, but then through your life, it's, it's pointless. It's pointless having preachers stand here mentioning good sermons, but out there we all nod and it sounds exciting because, again, we're intellectually stirred. But until it actually takes residency in you as a revelation, nothing's going to happen. And that's where, let me say to you, 95% of the Western church currently sits in an intellectual place, nodding, getting excited about it on the Sunday. But by Monday afternoon, we're frustrated, we've forgotten, we're tired, we're moody, we've been caught in traffic, especially when you're heading south. And this, which became information, never actually took residency and became revelation. To be honest with you, I've actually thought of not being part of church. Like I just, I actually got frustrated with church for a while and I thought, what a waste of time it is. We come on a Sunday, we sing a few songs that are a lot about us, except, I mean, as of late, I must admit, the worship has been towards God. And when it's towards God, then, you know, his throne is established and powers and principalities of darkness are toppled. But I started getting tired. I was like, geez, most of the songs we're singing are really about me and what I'm going to gain from this this God that loves me so much, which he does do. I'm not going to say that he doesn't. He loves us. But most of the songs are about stirring up my individualistic, selfish laugh of, you know, give me all the blessings. Give it to me. Thank you. Oh, how you love me. I'm so excited about it. I've got some goosebumps. I'll go home today and I'll just carry on my life as per normal. But, and I started getting frustrated with that a couple years ago, actually probably more than a couple years ago. And I went, and it was actually while I was leading Crossing Point, and I went, what am I doing? I'm leading a church and it's absolutely pointless. Like we go there on a Sunday, I'm preaching as best I can to bring revelation. Everybody's getting stirred, and I realize that people were getting stirred intellectually by it, but it wasn't actually transforming us as a community, and then I was not seeing it transform the greater community around us called the Gold Coast, which is where, why we're here. We, we're here for the kingdom to come not in, in our lives first it, as an individual, as part of, and I, and I don't want to say in your life as an individual and then the church, but you as an individual as part of a church community, and then as a greater church community on the Gold Coast, to see a transformation come. And I started looking around the Gold Coast, and I went, I'm not hearing anything about what God's doing on the Gold Coast. I wonder why that is. There's over 250 churches on the Gold Coast, probably more than that, like way more than that. But I, I'm not hearing stories. I'm not seeing it in the news. I'm not hearing testimony. I'm not... I'm not seeing it on social media, that God is doing something. Something is happening in our city. And the reason why is because I realized that at what we were doing on Sundays, we were just tickling people's brains. And, and, and I'm still frustrated by that. I would love to see a church actually come out of the rubble of, of Western um, consumerism, which is rife in the church, and actually start to see something happen. That's why we hear a testimony of a cloth being prayed over, and then a person's headache leaving. That's, that's huge. Have you ever prayed over a cloth and someone's headache's gone? Do you know what I mean? So, so that's different. That's outside of the ordinary. It's called extraordinary. It's not of the natural. In the natural, you take a headache tablet. Then your headache goes. You don't put a cloth on your hand, and then suddenly, you know, your headache's gone. Then suddenly your husband's sleeping at nighttime, and, and his neck pain is gone. I mean, this is not normal. And that excites me. Because when I heard that, I was like, 
Afterwards, I heard that testimony. He was told to me before I even left the meeting. I phoned Ben immediately. I said two things. Jeremy felt the cloth was hot, and it's Debbie, right? Debbie felt that her headache went away. And I just went, that's, that's God. He's moving. Let's tell this testimony wherever we can. Let's share it. We just get excited. Me and Ben spoke for some time on the phone, and I was getting really stirred up. I said, man, this is God. He's, he's, he is starting to move among us. And that there starts to excite me because I can see that as a small church, we're going to do big things. God doesn't, Jesus only chose 12 people, man. You know what I mean? He didn't, he didn't go look for the Pharisees and get a whole army. He just 12, he chose 12 individuals who were wallies. Like they were, they were. They were all just a bunch of wallies. He's a fisherman. He's a tax collector. He's a zealot. They want to, this guy wants to kill that guy. That guy's collecting money. These are revolutionaries. He chose a bunch of wallies and he said, come on a journey into my life. Let me show you what this looks like. I'm not afraid of what you're doing. I'm not afraid of your idiocy, your stupid mistakes. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you in a relationship with me. Because salvation is not a legal binding contract. It's a, it's a covenant. It's a covenant between people. <clears throat> We've become partakers of the divine nature of God. John 17, verse 21. Let's go there quickly. John 17, verse 21. I'm bringing my paper Bible next time. I'm going, I'm, I'm going to use my iPad for notes and my Bible to read out of. This takes too long. Cutting, cutting into my sharing time. <laughs> it is. It just annoys me. Technology is good in one sense, but then I tell you what, it, it, it can really get up your nostrils. <clears throat> I'm not going to spend any more money on an iPad, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm not giving any money to Apple. That's just the reality. I was saved from Apple. I now have a Samsung. Verse 20 of uh, chapter 17. This is Jesus praying. So he says, he, he's been praying for his disciples. And then he says this. Let me double check I'm in the right verse. 1720, yep, yep, perfect. I do not ask for these only. So this is Jesus praying to, to the Father. I do not ask for these, people, these only, these 12 that are before me, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Listen to the language that Jesus is asking. This is the Messiah talking to the Father. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I, Jesus, are in you, the Father, so that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. That's big. That they may be one, even as we are one. You and me, Father, are one. Wow. Guys, this is phenomenal. Like, you need to understand this. Do you think that Jesus would pray a prayer that might come true? I mean, think about it for a second. It's stupid to even say that. But that's how we pray. I pray a prayer, and I'm like, oh, you know. In the back of my mind, you know, pray, have faith, do not doubt. Every one of us pray something, especially when it's a big thing. And you go, mm, I don't know. You know, we always have that little, mm, maybe it won't come true. 
You know, we try to drum up our faith. It's going to come true. Don't be like that, Brad. You know, but back in the back of our minds, there's always that little bit of doubt. Do you think that there was any doubt in Jesus? Here is the here is the Messiah King, the one and only Son of the exalted, living, great I Am, who is praying to His Father. He's not just praying; he's actually having a conversation. He wasn't. He wasn't having a, an earthly prayer. He was having a normal conversation that he's probably had every single day of his life. He is saying that, that we may, they may be one, just like you and me are one. That's huge. See, that, that revelation has never hit us. It hasn't. The glory, that's a big word, the glory. The glory realm. What, the glory is not a cloud, okay? It's, it's, a, it's the very essence of who God is. It's the essence of his being manifested. That's what the glory is. That's Moses. Initial presence goes with me. Show me your glory. And our initial presence goes with me. Because after he experienced the glory, that's his thing. Now, if, unless your presence goes with me, I will not move from this place. And he goes, ah, don't worry, Moses. I will send an angel before you. You know what we would have done? We would have gone, let's bring him on. Who, who are we getting? We're going to get whoever, you know? The angel breakthrough. Breakthrough revival. We're going to get Michael, the archangel. Who are we going to get? Gabriel. Just send... Fantastic. And let's go and do our evangelism in the streets. Let's go and plant churches. Let's go and move among our society. We're going to have this massive big angel with us. Moses goes, no, I've seen the glory of God. I've seen the essence of his very being. I will not go. You can send 5,000 angels before me, but I will not go unless your presence itself goes with me. And guess what? Thousands of years later, here we stand. That very presence that Moses saw externally, in the cleft of a rock, is in you and in me. That means everywhere we go, that presence is there always. Your presence go with me. No worries. In Jesus, we are now in him, and that presence remains always. Remember I spoke about the the Holy Spirit is not like a dove? You know what I'm saying? He's not a dove. A dove is a flighty bird. It's very scared, not like a pigeon. A pigeon will come eat out of your hand. You know what I mean? But a dove is very flighty. So we've been taught, you know, because the Spirit came and descended on Jesus, then we think the Holy Spirit's like a dove. And so, you know, I I was taught this as a a young Reformed guy, is that when your lifestyle is out of whack with God, what happens is the dove is is this chaos, so he flies away. And only when you're in this place of peace and, and harmony with God, then the Holy Spirit will come and land on you. And so I tried my whole life to make sure the dove stayed and came and remained, you know what I mean? And what I began to realize as I studied the text is that the dove coming on Jesus was a symbol of the ark coming out of the water. Because the last time we saw the dove was when it left the ark and never came back again. So the next time we see the dove is he's now suddenly landing on Jesus, who was a picture of the true ark. He is the true ark of God, coming out of the water, bringing salvation. We know that. It's clear in the text when you read it like a, like a, like a Hebrew, not like a Western intellectual man. We've got to get back to the heart of, of, the, of the scriptures. When the Father incorporated, listen to this, when the Father incorporated us into the fellowship with the Trinity, which is himself, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, by revealing the Messiah in us and placing us in the Messiah. So not only is the Messiah, the Spirit of God, inside of you, but you and me as the church, as born-again sons and daughters of God, we are actually also in him. That's like a... It's like a woven basket. You cannot find the, the beginning and the end of what that is. I'm in him. 
as he is in the Father. Therefore, I am in the Father, but he is in me, and the Father is in me, and the Spirit is in me. Yet they are together, one with each other. And so we are in him, but he is in us. It's a strange combination of reality. But it's powerful if you understand it and walk in it. When he did this, when he incorporated us into this, he was not just changing how he sees us. You know, that it is, it is good. You know, when the Father sees you, he sees you in Christ. That is absolute truth. Like, there's no, there's no um, getting away from that. But, but that's, for us, where a lot of our understanding ends. Because you are in Christ, when the Father sits on his throne, he sees Jesus. I want to say, he also sees us. He sees us in his son, and he sees his son in us, and he's invested in us. So, so not only does it change how God sees us, but rather it changes our reality. It changes who we are. He was, he was making us a new creation. We are now recreated with the DNA of divine nature. The DNA of divine nature. It's like God... We die with Christ, and we rise with Christ. That's why for me, and we're not going to get into that now, and I'm going to throw it out there, and Ben's going to go, oh, no, we've got to preach on it in the future. Yes, we're going to preach on it in the future. Yes, we should be preaching in the future. But Sorry, Benny, but when you get baptized, it's not just an outward symbol of what happened. It is the actual act of die with Christ, rise with Christ. That's what it is. You know, you've been saved. Okay, let's do this little external you know, ritual. That's so pagan, for goodness sake. The pagans love their rituals. Do the rituals. Do the rituals. Do the rituals. When you partake of that bread we, in, in Holy Communion, it's not just a ritual we do at the front of church, the nip and the sip. You know what I mean? Give me a little nip of bread all nicely sliced up. We're supposed to actually break it from one loaf. Not all cut up by somebody in the kitchen. You, know? you break it. It's a communion thing. It's a communal thing. It's a koinonia thing. It's from the one body. We, are, we break our piece off that body and we partake of it. But when you, whenever you do this, Jesus says, do it in remembrance of me. What does that mean? It's a declaration of the fact that he came as the Messiah. He died on behalf of you. He was raised back to life for your justification. He has ascended to the throne where he sits as God above all, where he sits on his throne as the king of kings above all, and that he shall return again. And we, Lord, will act on your behalf. Because to remember somebody in the Hebrew culture is not a, a, oh, I have a fond memory of that. But to remember somebody is a covenantal thing. That's why when Israel had a covenant with another nation and that nation got plundered, they would send a message saying, please note, something's going down here, remember us, means, means this in Hebrew, act on my behalf. So Jesus says, remember me, act on my behalf. And you know when you get the opportunity to break the bread and eat the food? Every time you eat a meal. It's not on a Sunday service for the nip and sip. He says, he's sitting, having a meal, a dinner with them, and he goes, every time you do this, remember me. Not on Pentecost, not on your Sunday services. Every time. When you have your bacon and egg roll, that's an opportunity. Whether you have your cornflakes, that's an opportunity. You have your pie at lunchtime, that's an opportunity. Whether you're by yourself, with your friends, with your family. Whether you, when there's a group of believers together, one or two, or more, every time. That's what we do. It's a declaration 
of the new nature that is inside of me, that I have died with Christ, raised with him, and I'm acting on your behalf. I will live my life in remembrance of you. And part of that remembrance is the declaration that he is returning. That, that makes the demonic powers and principalities shudder because they know it to be true. We are not recipients of the gospel only. We are actually participants in this good news. We participate in the good news. That means that if Jesus is the good news, the declaration of the kingdom has now come and is fully coming, we are participants in that. We don't just receive, oh, I receive it. Thank you, Lord. There is where it ends. I live my little life. And then one day I've got my fire insurance. When he returns, I know I'm getting sucked up into heaven. However that is for you. You know, one day I'm walking down the road and my clothes are left behind. I'm gone. However you feel the rapture is going to happen is pointless. It doesn't matter. Bottom line is, that's how most Christians live. We, as Rob Rufus says, he says we get saved and then we sit on the rapture bunch, uh, bus bench. Just waiting. Yeah, I'll do my holy stuff. I'll do my go to church. I'll take communion and all that. But just remember me, when you suck us all up, I'm part of the, I'm going. Because I'm not a carnal Christian. You know what I mean? That's not what it means at all. It means we participate daily in this incredible gospel. We are part of God's story. Ephesians 2 verse 10. I've got five minutes. And I'm going to do it. Ephesians 2 verse 10. <clears throat> In five minutes I need to say this and then I need to just make a strong point. For we, listen to this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that incredible? It's quite simple. You were created in Christ. You are the workmanship of God himself. He's created you in Christ for good works, not bad works, good works that he has actually prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Next one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Two Corinthians chapter five, verse. We can start there, verse seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, listen. This is this just this breaks anything to do with reformed theology. Of you still have a sinful nature. That just that this this scripture just blows it right out of the water. If anyone is in Christ, and I used to be reformed, by the way, so this, um, I, had a, I didn't believe this at one point. I don't even know why. It was in the scripture. But for some reason, I decided that my theology was more important than what the Bible said. <laughs> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old, what's that? The old dead nature, the old nature of sin, has passed away. Behold. The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in the Messiah, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God now making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But if that's the only scripture in the Bible, if that was like the one page, God was like, here you go, this is all you get, bang. That's that there would try, if we knew nothing else but that scripture alone came to us, that'll be enough for us to understand what God has done and what our ongoing purpose in him now is. I don't understand how I didn't get that. But I listened to too many other voices of people that had, you know, certificates on their wall. And then this short, fiery little man named Rob Rufus came across from Hong Kong, stood in this church, read these texts out, and I went, this guy's lying. He's going he's gonna to create a disturbance in the church. That's me. I was like a, you know, I'm a policeman. I'm the, I'm the you know, the theologi- theological police. Even though I'd never been to seminary, I thought, this guy's going to create sin. And I remember going to my office one day, and God sat me down, and he said to me, you open your Bible and read with this man when he reads, because he came for a week, and he did, he did every night for a week. Thank God for that. And, and he said, what you've done is you sat there and you've listened with critical ears to find out where this guy's wrong. What you're not doing is following in the text what this guy's reading. So go and read it. So I opened it up. I felt it in my heart. Just, I got arrested in my own office. So I said, that's what I'm going to do. And as he went, I didn't have the iPad, so I wasn't slow. I had the pages, so I could turn quickly. You know? Bang, in. I read what he wrote. As he read, he did not manipulate the text once. He, he did open up some of the Greek words, which I also had my concordance which on my phone. I was pretty good at that. But I, I literally followed him word for word. And you know what? All he did was read portions, chunky portions of Scripture. And as I read them myself, while I sat in that church building, I actually felt like I got born again. I just try, Inside me, the Holy Spirit was going like a wildfire. Like a wildfire. By, by the... The end of the second night, I was crying because I was so overwhelmed by the revelation of God and what he had achieved and who he had made us to be. And, and by the end of that week, I tell you what, I was shouting when this guy was sharing these scriptures. I was just shouting with absolute joy. It just erupted in me. That started me on a journey that transformed my entire life. From that moment, I actually saw the manifestation of God's kingdom like I've never experienced in my life. In my own life, in my family life with my wife and kid, and in my friendship groups, and in the church we're part of, and everywhere around the world that we travel to. We just experienced God because of the revelation of what he had done. Christ has made us a new creation. He has made us now one with himself. He has made He has placed me inside the Messiah and therefore inside the Father himself. And he has placed the Messiah in me. Therefore, the Father, by his Spirit and Son, is also in me, in you. 
the church. And in my last one minute, let me say this. Christianity, the word church, as we read in the, in the New Testament, is the word ecclesia. And we, if we translate it, most of the time I say the ecclesia means the called out ones. And that's only half because the, the, the rest of that word, if you go look at it, is this. The called out ones who gather together. There is no church without the coming together. You cannot be, I'm the church, me, myself, Brad, on my own little you know, jolly patrolly, just doing my thing. I'm the church. I don't need to be a... No, 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 hold on. The word church in, in, the, in, that, um, in the New Testament is directly translated out of the Hebrew word that they found for church, which is when they gathered, when God gathered Israel together at the bottom of Mount Sinai and made them into a nation. It's, it's the word for assembly. You cannot be... In an assembly, if you're by yourself, you have to assemble with others. You see what I'm saying? So, so God isn't looking for an individual. He, he, he chose an individual, Abraham, in order to create a nation, a people. The church becomes the nation of God. We as the church become the embodiment of God's kingdom on earth right now as we remember, in brackets, act on behalf of the king. Him in us and us in him, completely at one, we partake in the gospel by acting on behalf of the Messiah as his ambassadors to see that kingdom manifest in your family life first, because that's where your first ministry is, a husband and wife, your ministry is first and, first and foremost to God, we minister first and foremost to God, and then to each other, and then into your next thing, which will be your extended family or your friendship, closest friendship groups, then from there into the next, which for me, this church becomes that next phase, and then from there into your, wherever that looks to you, I don't know. And, and we, we minister in, from, from that place outwardly on behalf of God as his ambassadors. It's quite simple, yet it's incredibly profound. There's, there's a lot of depth to it that we need to explore. That's why we're not all just suddenly popping around like Jesus, but but it's a, it's, a, it's a journey of exploring the depth of what this means as a community, not as a little individual in your home, but as a community together. We explore the depth of what it looks like to be these ambassadors for Christ, to be those who walk with each other in communion, in koinonia with one another in Christ as a community, not you just, I'm by myself out here and, and I'm going to, you know, you guys, are not, you haven't got the revelation I've got. It's not how it works. It works as together. We explore the revelation of God, teaching one another, gleaning from each other, helping each other. And then we see God moving in us and through us to touch the greater community. Amen? Amen. That's, that's really the simplicity of what I wanted to say today. That Christ has been revealed in you to the fullness. Like you don't need him to be revealed anymore. What you need to do is learn how to submit more. That's all. Submit more. There's nothing more that the Father needs to do for us. He's done everything. What we need to do is learn how to submit ourselves to that reality so that it manifests more and more. Okay? Father, we just want to thank you for the incredible privilege of being at one with you. Is there's nothing better that we can think of than walking in perfect relationship with you. And I know that you know, all of us in this room, we're not there yet. But it's a journey that we want to, as a community, say, 
we want to enter into. We want to go more. And we, we are grateful that we already are on this incredible journey. We're seeing something happen here. This is a, an, an, a, this is a wonderful growth period, a growth in our togetherness, our, our communion um, with each other. And it's a growth in our revelation of who you are, which is going to create a growth in our outward living towards each other and then towards the greater community. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to understand the reality of this revelation. That it's not so much about seeing signs, wonders, and miracles, because we know that that's a natural part of your kingdom. But what it's about is walking in a relationship with you at a deep level. And that will, ex- that will express itself through the external and outward manifestations that just naturally come with your kingdom being, a, being in and amongst us. Uh, I do want to pray, Father, that you would bind us together in, in relationship with each other as a church, as our community. And through that, there would be something that, that would start to just spark off even more than what we're currently seeing now. We celebrate what we would see as the cloud the size of a man's hand. But we know and we declare that the rain, the rain is coming. We can, we can smell it. We can feel it. We, we will declare it. We will prepare for it as a people. And we will do our best, Father, to steward well what you are giving to us, what you are entrusting to us. Help us to understand this and help us to know how to steward this well. I pray for everyone here today, Lord, including myself, as we go, that this revelation of you in us and us in you would actually would, would grow like a mustard seed, which is a weed that just takes over the whole garden. I pray that this thing would just grow in us. People would just be driving down the street, sitting in their couches, having a conversation with their, their, their spouse or partner or a friend, and all of a sudden, the reality of that truth would actually just hit us so hard that it would spark up what I felt back in Dubai in those days, just that incredible sense of wildfire running through the veins of, my, of our bodies, overtaking us, getting us excited and stirred up for what it is that you've done and what it is that you have in store for us in the future, which I believe starts even as today. We celebrate you. We declare that you are on the throne, Lord God, that you, Lord Jesus, will return again to consummate this age, and we shall live with you in the new heaven and new earth. Amen.